Welcome back to Why Two Kids. My name is Patrick. My name is Taylor. And we kind of agreed this week on what our topic was going to be. We're doing our very first book. Yes, very exciting. Um, and let me tell you, this got me out of a bit of a reading slump. So I'm very excited to be talking about this. Um, this is, of course, uh, Why Two Kids, the show where we talk about um, sort of nostalgia-based things from the years 1995 to 2005. This kind of just barely doesn't fall within those parameters, but I think it still kind of applies to what we do, the kind of conversations we want to have about the show. And like we said on the show last week, sometimes we want the show to be like a little more serious than like Bubblegum and Disney shows. And that's what this is this week with I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy. I gave this disclaimer on last week's episode, but I am going to say it again. Um, this book handles a lot of very sensitive content, so if that is something that you would like to click off from, do so now. Um, a lot of abuse happens within this book, a lot of abuse sexually and um, mentally and physically, so um, protect your peace. Do so if you please. There's also um, talk of eating disorders in the book. There's talk of alcohol abuse. Um, you name it. It's probably, even if just a little tiny bit touched on in some point in this book. Um, and so if, if, if you know this situation and any of that uh, doesn't seem like something that you want to hear us talk about, then don't. Uh, we don't mind. Click off. We're going to have some fun next week. We're going to go back to... Um, some silly and lighthearted. We're going to do um, our first Halloween special next week. And so we will see you then, and we don't mind. Yeah, please, please uh, do whatever your mental health needs. Uh, we will not take it personally. So let's jump into it. Um, obviously, no snack this week, no games this week. Like we said on last week's episode, we didn't think it'd be very appropriate to just be like, and Twizzlers, <laughs> you know, um, this is um, uh, a, ver a very serious, but it's also like a very lighthearted book. Like um, the, the title is very sensationalized, um, but she really finds like a really interesting amount of humor in this. And um, I don't know, I, I was very impressed with the way that she has sort of like come out the other side of this terrible situation. I will say, I think part of the reason we feel that way, though, is because we listened to the audiobook. Like what seems like most of the world, um, we found out about this book, we saw the incredible reviews, we saw the clips of people reading it, and we were like, we have to read this. Um, if not for an episode, just because we wanted to read it. And um, I, I think that, you know, it was impossible to find. I mean, you couldn't find it anywhere. Um, everything was back ordered. We went to a local bookstore, and they said, yeah, we have no clue when we're going to get it. Nobody knows when they're going to get it. If they tell you they know when they're going to get it, they're lying. They said they had, like, a bunch of people ask for it. Like, it's, like, been their business book in like basically years yeah so you know no one could find this book and the person who um uh at the at our bookstore said you should try the audiobook i have heard that she has a really interesting way of delivering it auditorily versus reading it and um i can't recommend this enough um of course support your brick and mortar bookstores we do all the time and we have the physical copy sitting right here as well but let me tell you um 
I think, um, and like I said, I have not read physically the book. We listened to it. But I would imagine that, like, some of the ways in which she talks about her experiences could definitely come across as much more morose uh, reading it. Whereas um, she comes in, you know, when she talks about it and she reads her own book, she comes from a place where it's like she's clearly ready to talk about that. Um, she is not opening wounds that are not ready to be opened. Uh, and for me, I feel like that was just like closure that I needed. Like, I don't want anyone, I don't want to read something and feel like someone is talking about a situation prematurely, um, you know, for whatever reason. And she really truly seemed, uh, uh, through, through the way she, you know, handled herself, um, doing the audiobook that she was ready to share the story and that she had come a long way. And, um, that was really tremendous. And she also just, like, fit a lot of humor in there and a lot of her personality that I don't know would have come through through the, through reading it. So the, the backstory for those that don't know. So, uh, Jeanette McCurdy, um, of iCarly fame, I guess, um, is the best way to put it, Nickelodeon child star fame, um, did some stuff before the Nickelodeon phase and did a little bit of work afterwards. Also had, like, sort of a music career, um, but was mainly just sort of a child actress and was sort of put into this situation by her mother, who always wanted to be an actress and was sort of the very definition of, um, what, what is it, a stage mom, uh, uh, like a pageant mom, essentially, um, teaching Jeanette about eating disorders so that she can stay thin and look like a child and continue to play childlike roles, Um trying to be her acting coach, living through her sort of vicariously, as, as like I said, she always wanted to be an actress herself. And her mother's also, th throughout this journey, throughout this uh, 25 years or so that the book takes place, um, is, is going through cancer in various stages of her life. She's in remission, she's out of remission, her cancer comes back. And so her family and her mother and everybody's dealing with... Uh, all these traumatic situations that her mother is essentially trying to sort of push to the side to make Jeanette this, um, this star. Yeah. Um, like Patrick said, her mom always wanted to be a star herself and it was her parents that did not let her do that. So, um, from a very, 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 very young age, she told Jeanette, you know, I'm going to be the parent to you that I never had. And I'm going to push you to be a star because I wish that my parents had done that for me. And, you know, when you take that, you know, as it is, you think, okay, fair enough. Like, uh, she probably didn't mean any harm, but then you really begin to peel back the layers of this abuse and you realize that, um, you know, that that was just the tip of the iceberg. And, um, her mom really infantilized her and her siblings, uh, not even allowing them to brush or wash their own hair until they were almost 20 years old and showering them and bathing them together. Um, you know, yeah, she just really infantilized them and, and wanted them to stay children, you know, partially because it was attractive in terms of, um, casting, but also I think partially for control. And, and it's so sad that, you know, her mother just had this immense control of her over her. And she talks about in the book how she continues 
to have that control over her to this day, you know, even though she's come to terms with it and she's written this book saying, I'm glad my mom died. And from a rational perspective, she is happy that she died because she's gotten a new lease on life with her death. Um, there's a part of her that just wishes her mom was there and wishes that things had been different. Um, it, it's heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. Um, but of course, the thing that we are going to focus on um, in this book is is her touching on her um, experience with Nickelodeon, which paid her uh, uh, or tried to pay her some hush money to not write this book. And let me tell you, she's made up for it. <laughs> Thank God she didn't take that money because she is going to make infinitely more now. <laughs> um, I'd like to come back to the Nickelodeon thing in a second, if that's all right. I still have like this thought about the title. Because um, you get to the point where, uh, no spoiler here, it's the title of the book, Her Mom Dies. And um, she begin. I don't know if she gets cl- closer with her grandmother is the way to put it. I-, I don't know. Maybe she just, because of her mom as a, as a go-between is no longer there, she's just speaking to her grandmother more. And you see, like, um, you kind of see where mom got it from. And you can see that there's this history in this family of manipulation and of um, verbal and emotional abuse. Right, exactly. And when you hear the title of this book and you get the one sentence premise, you hear the book is called I'm Glad My Mom Died. And it's about this child star um, accepting who her mother was and moving on you know, beyond her death, you go like, Jesus Christ, you know, like this is going to be, um, I don't, I don't know if I, I can't think of a better word vindictive. That's not the word, but I think, you know what I'm going for lack of a better word. Like you just feel like it's going to be this like grave stomping, you know, sort of like, ha 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 ha. My life is so much better without her. And, um, look at all this crazy shit that she did. And it's not like that at all. I mean, in fact, she goes to the point where she says, it wasn't until after she died that I realized how abusive she was. And when I was going to therapy and people were using the word abuse for the first time, that had never occurred to me. You know, I I didn't know that it was weird to be bathed by your mother when you're 18 years old, you know. Um, uh, I My mother was insisting that I try and be below 90 pounds, even though I was in my 20s. You know, um, and that was one, something she wanted to do for her mother, right? It wasn't until her mother wasn't that sort of devil on her shoulder anymore that she realized, like, my life is better without her, unfortunately. But, like, one of the biggest arcs in the book is, like, her realizing that and coming to terms with the fact that, like, this mother who she thought was this, like, patron saint in her life um, and gave her this career and set her up for all the success is also, like, the reason why um, all of these things in her life went poorly. And that is just, like, such a like, unfortunately common theme in children's entertainment. Um, we've had, you know, very early discussions about who we're going to do for the second season of the Vince Vaughnathon. If you're listening to this show for the first time, we host a show called The Vince Vaughn. Then we're watching every single Vince Vaughn movie. We're like halfway through. We're going to pick a different actor slash actress for season two. And that person that we um, kind of have on our minds went through a similar sort of situation. And, 
you just see it time and time again with child actresses or child performers rather, um, these pageant moms, Nickelodeon, that this is just like a, uh, a reoccurring theme. And when you get to, you know, you're right, Nickelodeon and some hush money, you go like, geez, like the things that we were watching, um, this, there was a, some dark background behind this stuff. You know, this Dan Schneider thing, like this is endless how deep this goes. And she doesn't even, I mean, she barely touches on that in the book, you know? And so one of the conversations we wanted to have around this podcast was like, like we said, it's not all sunshines and rainbows. It's not all like, oh my gosh, I remember Lilo and Stitch. That was so much fun. Like some of this stuff has like this really dark background behind it. Yeah, you, you brought up a, a couple things that I want to touch on. One being just like, yeah, the idea of the, the child star. Um, something that I kept coming back to is, you know, the talk. So like ethically, I think the idea of child stars are kind of morally gray because children are not able, just biologically, Children are not able to consent to a demanding job like acting. They're not. Don't get me wrong. Are there children out there who, you know, performing is their absolute love and it's clear as day? Yes, there are. You see them all the time. You might know one of them. I was probably one of them uh, when I was a kid. I would have loved to do, you know, something like that. But not every child is. And I think that this is something that continue continues to come up, especially in the internet age, um, where you have, you know, momfluencers and um, people who basically make their money by putting putting their child in front of a camera. Um, you know, what are those children going to think when they're 18 years old and they have a digital footprint that's larger than the person p uploading these photos? Um, you also hear constantly, you know, um, there is a little girl on TikTok. Her name is Eleanor Wren. Uh, her mom, you know, went viral like so many other moms posting about her daughter. She's about like four or five years old. And her, if you look up Eleanor Wren on TikTok, the first thing that comes up is like Eleanor Wren bikini. Um, and it's like Eleanor Wren, you know, like uh, bathtub or like whatever these like sick things are. She's blatantly and objectively on porn sites. Like people have found her. Um, and the mom continues to upload these videos and because the mom's rich now and like, there are just so many things like children are, they're just not able to consent. Children can't comprehend, even if they do love to perform, even if kids love to create content, even if kids are collaborative in this effort. Kids do not have the brain capacity to wrap their head around virality and eternal uh, existence online or on a, on a movie. And so I think, you know, the entire child star idea, which Nickelodeon is built upon, Disney is built upon, it's instantly, you can't think about it too hard or these shows will be ruined for you. Even if they provided the most perfect working environment and they were on their P's and Q's, which obviously they weren't, just how it is done... <laughs> is ethically ambiguous. Uh, great example here in chapter 31, and I'm going to try and um, skim it and, and read it quickly, but this is going to get to exactly what you're going for. 
She writes, I'm standing behind the curtain in the dressing room of the soundstage that we shoot the show on. My arms are folded across my body. My foot is tapping anxiously. I don't want to come out from behind the curtain. Come on out, Net. They'll just get one picture, and then you'll be good to go. Okay. I step out. I feel my cheeks blush with embarrassment. I hate this feeling, the feeling of so much of my body being exposed. It feels sexual to me. I'm ashamed. You look great, the wardrobe assistant, who's always sewing, yells. Oh, yell says from across the room without looking up from her sewing machine. I worry that great means sexual. I fold my arms across my body to try and cover it up more. I hunch my shoulders over like a little cave to protect me. I don't want to look sexual. I want to look like a child. I'll definitely push for the one piece, but thank you for humoring me in trying on the bikini, the head of wardrobe says while she pulls her hair up into a bun and pins it into a place with chopsticks. Um, cut to the next page. Um, can I just, um, can I not, I ask? Can I leave it at the one I just tried? Well, he wants options, the wardrobe designer says, pulling an over-exaggerated you-know-him kind of expression that doesn't resonate. Because I don't know him. Not really, right? She's talking about uh, Dan Schneider. Who she refers to. Who she refers to as the creator, capitalized, um, which is so, so beyond eerie. This man that she doesn't know, who's cast from the show, who, before she even really gets to know him, is sexualizing her. And she's 12 years old? I mean, give or take. I want to say she's about 12. Um, and you want to, you know, you say you don't fully um, understand, and obviously Jeanette does not, right? I mean, you're, you're 12. You can't understand. But she gets that something about this is not right, you know? And um, this sort of like, well, it's Nickelodeon. It's Dan Schneider. What are you going to do? Um that's that's the unfortunate truth about all of these things that we were watching when we were 12 years old. Yeah, the idea of like fetishization and like sexualizing is it, it, it's a weird one because like on one hand some people have this argument of like well if men just didn't sexualize us then women could live normal lives, right? Like Women could go out shirtless and wouldn't have to worry about being, you know, assaulted. Um, so, like, yes, in this utopian universe that people love to use as a counter argument, um, should people sexualize women for the sake of it? No, they shouldn't. Wouldn't that be great? But they do. And that's the but. You know, they do sexualize women. They do sexualize children. And um, that's exactly what's happening here. You know, you cannot say um, a 40-year-old man who wants options – a majority of which is a young girl in bikinis to prance around on a, a network television show, um, you cannot say that that is not sexualizing them because people will find it sexual. Maybe not all people. Maybe we weren't finding it sexual, but people will find that sexual and it is predatorial content that you are producing. And that's what's so kind of crazy about it, right, is when we watch this – and uh, I saw this clip like a couple years ago, and I'm sure everybody knows what I'm talking about. If you don't, don't look it up. It's really creepy. Where the girls do this bit where they have like faces on their toes, and they do this, like, I don't know, they're like people. I, I don't even remember the bit exactly. But it's basically just like up close on their feet for like two minutes as they like do little voices and like crunch their toes and stuff. And when you're 10 years old or however old we were watching this, she's like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> uh, and then you watch it 10 years later and you're like, oh, my God, like this is like a two minute children's foot bit. 
Yeah, so the feet thing is, like, very much the elephant in the room anytime you're talking about Dan Schneider. Um, feet were a reoccurring, 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 reoccurring theme on every single Nickelodeon TV show because he was involved with every single Nickelodeon TV show. But I think iCarly kind of was at the forefront of that. Um, primarily because they had the reoccurring bits, like you said. You know, like, you know, iCarly... I Carly was such an interesting show. It was able to tap into this newfound online content creation, and which is a reason why I loved it because I was a twelve-year-old girl who loved be who like loved the idea of being an influencer who who watched beauty gurus and watched and like I I loved this like the the concept for the show resonated with so many people myself included and because of this like innate um connection to virality because they're creating you know online shows and online shows are instantly like do they go viral do they not go do not do they not like that's how success is measured now online is virality um they were able to do these like little bits and they were also an, able to engage with a you know ghost audience you know that watch iCarly weekly and the thing that makes me, like, the most sick to my stomach, I mean, all of it makes me sick to my stomach, but with this foot bit that you're specifically referring to, they started a contest where they asked young girls who watched iCarly to submit pictures of their own feet buddies. And, I mean, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of girls submitted them. And where did they go? Who has them? They showed some on the TV. Do you think their parents knew about that? This is free predatorial content that he was organizing. Um, and then this also brings me to to a point that I, I wanted to recently, or like, so recently, Daniela Monet, who played Trina Vega on the show Victorious, which we'll, we'll talk about Victorious in a little bit um, when we get to kind of Jeanette's chapter talking about her relationship with Ariana Grande. Um, Victorious was a competitor's show to iCarly. Um, she talks about this in the book and, um, there's even a point in the book where she's, where Dan Schneider says like, you need to drink alcohol tonight, Net. Like those, um, Victorious stars are so bad and they love to party, but you iCarly kids, you're so, you know, straight, straight and arrow. Um, and she said it made her feel dirty, but she, she drank alcohol with him because he wanted her to. Recently, uh, Daniela Monet, who played, like I said, Trina Vega, who is Tori Vega, Victoria Justice's sister on, um, uh, not iCarly, Victorious, recently came out um, where I think she's going to do, I, I can't remember if it's a book or if she's just going to come out with like a statement, but she has basically said like, yes, there was, oh, no, I, I remember, she, um, she protested in front of Nickelodeon studios with a group of of anti-Nickelodeon people um but I saw a clip of a um like zoom interview or zoom conversation I don't know between her and Elizabeth Gillies who plays Jade West on Victorious so it was Daniela Monet and Elizabeth Gillies and they were talking about their experiences and how as adults they've come to realize the predatorial nature of them and they specifically reference a scene in which um Elizabeth Gillies says like you know I don't really go back and watch Victorious but I recently came across a clip where, you know, you and Victoria Justice are in short shorts and a cami tank top wrestling on the ground for like four minutes and how disgusting that is. Like that is that's not for comedy. 
that's not for anything other than the sexualization of this moment. Um, and it's just constant moments like that, that, that come up. There's, um, another actress, um, I'm looking her name up now. She was on Zoe 101. Um, what is her name? She has also, I should have had this ready. Um, it was, Victoria Justice was also on Zoe 101. Um, Alexa Nicholas. Alexa Nicholas is also one of the people, I believe, who has protested Nickelodeon, um, recently and, like, went to, um, the, you know, Nickelodeon, uh, headquarters, I guess, to protest. Um, so people are coming out of the woodwork, uh, and not just because of Jeanette McCurdy. I think that they were always doing this. They just didn't have the spotlight shined on them like Jeanette has, uh, through, through her words. So this is, you know, an interesting turning point for, for, you know, people coming, feeling comfortable enough to come forward about Nickelodeon. And one of the common themes, um, in all of these different like situations is when, uh, Nickelodeon, uh, when the producers, when people like Dan Schneider would pick and choose the people that they wanted to highlight. And there, there's even this whole other conversation in the book, and there's a lot in the book. You know, like it is, there's a lot going on here. And we're also like, we're focusing a lot on the Nickelodeon child um, star kind of side of stuff because, like, that's what this show is about. This show is about, you know, those shows and stuff from our childhood. The book isn't even really about that. I mean, it's it's a memoir of her life, and, you know, it's called I'm Glad My Mom Died for a Reason. It's a lot about her relationship with her mother. That is its whole other thing. But, you know, like like we said, we're going to focus more on some of the Nickelodeon stuff. Like I said, this conversation that comes up again and again is, like, um, who gets chosen? And what does it mean to be a child star that isn't successful? And what were the sacrifices for? And um, where did the money go, right? The money dries up magically for all of these children, you know, um, and, and what is sort of sustainability. And she talks about like her not being able to escape Nickelodeon. Like I won't, I'll never be a legitimate actress because I was a, a child show actress. I wasn't just a child actress where, you know, you can be a child actress and be, you know, um, Dakota Fanning, which is an example that she uses in the book, right? She's doing content for children, which sort of sticks you in this box. And um, one of, like, the really interesting sort of turning points in the book in her career is when she does this show, Sam and Cat, with Ariana Grande, and how they let Ariana do whatever she wants to do. And I have that in a second. I'll read it after Taylor um, uh, says what she wants to say. Um, and how Jeanette is sort of just pushed down and they tell her what to do. Even though at this point she's, like, I think legally an adult. Yeah, so um, I do quickly want to, like, introduce what Patrick is going to say a little bit more and expand on that. But I also want to say to this notion of, like, the you're trapped with Nickelodeon um, – you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, it, it has proven to be true because what have Miranda Cosgrove and Nathan Kress done since iCarly? Mm, the iCarly reboot. There they are. And there's even a moment in the book where, you know, Jeanette McCurdy and, and Miranda Cosgrove have this incredible, truly pure, wonderful, trustworthy, um, you know, miraculous, honestly, relationship despite all odds. Um, despite, you know, Jeanette's mother's control over her, it's just this constant, uh, pure thing in her life. But as happens with age, they've just grown apart. Truly nothing malicious there. They have simply just grown apart. And, um, Miranda Cosgrove calls Jeanette 
And Jeanette says in the book, you know, I knew what this phone call was going to be. I knew that uh, she was not just calling to catch up, even though I desperately wished that maybe that was, that was just the reason. Um, and she was right. Uh, Miranda Cosgrove said, you know, please be a part of this with Nathan and I. Um, you know, we would love to have you be a part of this. Uh, uh, and she said no um, to, you know, protect, protect herself and her own peace. Um, but yeah, like she was, she was right. She knew all along that she had to break out if she was ever going to make a serious career for herself and Nickelodeon just kept bringing her in. Um, and so to kind of, like I said, introduce what Patrick was going to talk about with Sam and Kat, um, she wanted to break out. She wanted to, um, have other opportunities, but Nickelodeon, essentially offered her a deal she couldn't refuse. And that was very early on in iCarly. Dan Schneider said, Jeanette, I love you. I want to make a show all about you. It's going to be called, like, Just Puckett, because her, her character's name is uh, Samantha Puckett. And he was like, you know, it's going to be incredible. Um, you know, you're going to have, you know, creative input. Like, it's going to be this amazing thing to really spotlight you and your talent. And, of course, um, Jeanette is, you know, weary but excited about this opportunity. At least she is, um, you know, getting to do something kind of solo. Maybe this this could be, you know, a little bit of a resume builder compared to just, like, another iCarly. Um, her mom is clearly elated that Dan Schneider likes her. Um, and then, you know, he says it's going to be a little while before it gets put into production, but it's going to happen. And he continues checking in and checking in and saying it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, when it's too late, he says, it's not going to be called Just Pucket. It's going to be called Sam and Cat, and you are not going to be the forefront of this. You are going to be uh, a duo with Ariana Grande, which, you know, Patrick is going to talk about a little bit. So they're, they're making the show for a couple years, um, and then she writes um, this. I hear that phrase a lot these days. Thank you for being a good sport. I hear it on a daily basis. Not only from our assistant director, but from my managers every time I'm on the phone with them. From a writer or producer at least once a week. Even from a network executive who sent me a $500 gift card to Barney's with that very phrase inscribed on the attached note. I know why I'm hearing this phrase so often. It's because my co-star, Ariana Grande, is a burgeoning pop star who misses work regularly to go sing at award shows, record new songs, and do press for her upcoming album while I stay back and angrily hold down the fort. Um, she says, I booked two features during iCarly that I had to turn down because the iCarly team wouldn't write me out of episodes to go shoot them. Then this week happened, the week where I was told Ariana would not be here at all and that they would write around her absence this episode by having her character be locked in a box. Are you kidding me? So I have to turn down movies while Ariana's off whistle-tuning whistle at the Billboard oh. Music... Thank you. Whistle-toning, thank you, at the Billboard Music Awards. F this. So, you know, not only are we talking about children, and at this one, I, I, I think she, she might be in, like, her 20s. I'm not sure. No, she's, like, 16. Okay. Um... Not only are we talking about children, we're talking about um, children who have absolutely no um, presence and no say in their career. You know, 
they're they're being made false promises. They're being told that they're such big superstars. I mean, there's a, there's a scene in the book which, um, I you know I, honestly I don't want to find it because it's really gross. Where he uh, Dan Schneider pulls her aside and tells her what a great big star she is and rubs her leg, and um, they're being told these things. She's being told these things from her mother, right? Obviously, who, who's who's using her for her own benefit. Uh, and meanwhile. Okay, she was in her twenties, and and in meanwhile, she's being um, carted around and told what to do, and used for other people's gain. Um, when she begins her music career, she could give a shit about being a musician and being a singer, but it's what child stars do. They have to at least try it out to see if it works, you know. And um, not only does she not want to be in this situation in the first place, really. Uh, she wants even less to do with it now because she has absolutely no say in in what she gets to do. She's 21 years old at this point, and she's still a, a quote-unquote child star because that's the way she's being treated, and that's the sort of career she's been pigeonholed in. Yeah, and, you know, her mom, like, you know, this this book is heartbreaking for a lot of reasons. But when you read specific, you know, things like Patrick just read where she's talking about being a good sport, she's not – this is beyond being a good sport. She has had every ounce of her voice taken from her by years of coaching from her mom. Her mom has taught her not to be a good sport. Her mom has taught her to be submissive. Her mom has taught her to bow down basically and do whatever is necessary for her mom's happiness and what makes her mom happier than her being on the show um and being in this career so this she this is not this is not you know by a product of nature she's not just a, a good person i mean i'm sure she is i'm not saying that she's actively not a good person who would be outspoken you know who knows but we can't you know there's no talk of nature versus nurture when the nurture was so horrible and so emotionally abusive and trained her to be completely and utterly submissive um and the one time that she does decide to speak up and she talks to Dan Schneider and she says, you know, I would like to explore a career in directing. You know, what's next for me? Sure. Okay. You know, like if I can't get out of Nickelodeon, let let me at least make Nickelodeon work for me. And she asks to be, you know, a director on like two episodes. And he says, yep, yep, of course, of course, of course. Yes, let's do that. Um, let's make it happen. And it gets pushed and it gets pushed. And it gets pushed, and now the show is getting canceled, and we're getting to the last couple of episodes, and it's still getting pushed, and where is her directorial debut? And they finally go into a meeting to discuss, like, the last three episodes, and she talks about how she sits there anxiously, waiting with bated breath, because now's the time. I mean, they've run out of time. These, these two episodes have to be there, and they're not. She is not listed as the director. And when she talks to them furiously, feeling like every sacrifice that she's ever had to make has not been worth it because the one thing she actually wanted out of this has proven not to be true, um, she talks to one of the producers and he says, someone on the show did not want you to direct these episodes and was willing to quit if you did. And... That person, we can only assume, was Ariana Grande. And, um, you know, 
it's interesting how she talks about Ariana um, because, you know, it's, it's an interesting place of, in which she approaches this, approaches this entire book. For a lot of this book, you know, there's so much humanity to it because she is telling it as she is feeling it in these moments. And so for most of the book, when her mom is alive, she is, you know, def- defending these things. She's not talking about them from this negative thing. When she says her mom showers her, she says that she disassociates, but she's not saying, oh, my mom is, you know, physically abusing me. Because at at that moment in time, she doesn't feel that way. She doesn't even know what that means, let alone how that applies to her. Um, And so, you know, it, it definitely leaves it ambiguous. Like, how does Jeanette feel about Ariana today? We don't know. But we do know that in this moment, she feels completely and utterly, you know abandoned by her not that they were you know you know best friends like her and Miranda Cosgrove but in this moment she's like screw her it doesn't shine her in a very good light and you know Jeanette is like 30 years old now Ariana you know is much older now who's to say that they are these same people they're Jeanette McCurdy you know obviously is not but it it is just very interesting the way in which she approaches this and it makes you wonder what's what it's like now well, you're talking about Ariana Grande, who is now a huge global pop star. She did it. She did it, and but Nickelodeon did it. Nickelodeon chose her, and and said she's going to be the one. We're going to force her into this other show. That's the iCarly spinoff that she had nothing to do with. We're going to put her on here, but then we're also going to let her walk away and go to the Billboard Music Awards whenever she wants to, and we're going to make her this big pop star. And you know they chose her, uh, and they didn't choose Jeanette, right? Which I don't think. Um, Jeanette um, is, is bitter about it. I don't think there's really any bitterness in this book um, but uh, yeah I mean back to that point of you know not getting a say over what your career is and this false hope of your career uh, page 117 she finds out about Just Puckett for the very first time and she kind of goes like eh, on the drive home with her mom and uh, mom says why don't you seem happier you're getting your own show mom says in our drive home I am happy, I lie. Very happy. Good, Mom says as she glances at me in the rearview mirror. Because you should be. Everyone wants what you have. That's the end of chapter 33. Um, I think that that's a great example of this is not fulfilling. It's not sustainable. It's not what children want, you know. And listen, we're going to have this conversation um, and, uh, and we're going to read this, this really touching and really, um, I, I just, I, I'm sort of blown away by how, um, sort of self-aware this book is and listen, and then in six months we're going to choose Drake and Josh and, you know, like it, it, it is what it is. And, and we're, uh, acknowledging this sort of Nickelodeon, Hollywood, child star, whatever you want to call it, sort of machine. But there's this, this moment in time where we get to pause and, and someone who came out of that gets to tell their story and gets to sort of remind us um, that um, this is not what it's cracked up to be and not what it should be and not at all healthy or sustainable or, um, you know, really anything that um, should be associated with childhood, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you know, as we begin to shed light on, and I mean, we as a society, as society begins to shed light on 
all of these things that have happened as people begin to speak out about their experiences in the child star world and at different networks and on different sets and working with different directors and different actors. Um, as we begin to, to look at all of this with a closer lens, we begin to realize that nothing was ever sacred. I mean, it's kind of like that. I, I hate to be like, I hope this isn't tone deaf, but you know, it's kind of like the Alec Baldwin effect, you know, like, Whose fault was it that that guy got killed on Alec Baldwin's woman. set? Or Sorry, I'm sorry. This woman got killed on Alec Baldwin's set. Was it Alec Baldwin because he shot the gun? No, it was the prop designer because uh, they didn't, you know, do what they were supposed to do for safety. But no, it wasn't the prop designer's fault. It was the director's fault for hiring the prop designer. But then who hired the director? It was Alex Bald Alec Baldwin's film company. Like, it will always... Just, like, everything... You're, you're, we're beginning to realize in Hollywood... Everything comes back to it being horrible. And I hate to, it, it can be really discouraging. You know, sometimes when we, when we talk about these shows and we, we get really exciting invitations to go see movies um, at, at screenings, it's so easy to pick every single one of these things apart. Um, and you could do it infinitely. You could do it forever. But Hollywood isn't going anywhere. And so I just want to say, like, for the future, when Patrick, sorry, when we do inevitably talk about Drake and Josh and iCarly, like, we are approaching these things from, you know, a place of nostalgia. We loved these shows. Maybe these shows do hold up content-wise, um, but there is always going to be a recognition that these things were not happening, happening ethically. And you can always go back to this episode, and this can be our reference point of our our understanding and our acknowledgement. And you know, um, yeah, it's it's crazy. You know, we we were talking about um, recently. What's the the kid's name that played Draco Malfoy? Um, Tom Felton. Tom Felton. Tom Felton. He's got a. a memoir i guess uh coming out in a couple months all about his experiences playing draco on the set of harry potter but just to be clear it's not like an expose like this is it's just like a experiencing exactly that's what i was gonna say like and and there's nothing that um that has come out about that at all that makes it seem negative like it's it seems like it's gonna be like dude i was freaking 10 years old i got to be a wizard like that was awesome and and um and that's exactly what I wanted it to be, right? And I think that that's a great example of like, yeah, sure, it's not like this for every kid. Some kids just get to be wizards, and then they get to grow up, and they do get to bust out of the mold, and he still acts today, and, and he still does some of the Harry Potter stuff, and he does some of his own stuff, and, he, and it seems to me that he enjoys his life, you know? But that's not true of every child actor, and that's not true of like 99% of child actors, you know? And so, like, yeah, when we do Harry Potter, maybe we don't have um, this sort of undercurrent uh, in, in the background. But listen, we're going to talk about Nickelodeon shows in the future, and there is this undercurrent. Any Anytime Dan Schneider made a show, there's this sort of, you know, this laundry list. There's this war and peace of controversy and, and, and behind-the-scenes drama and abuse and neglect and all these things. And although the show is, you know, going to be silly often and that's what we want it to be. It's about, you know, being five and when you're innocent and and watching Ed, Ed and Eddie and having a good time. Right. Um, but like we said, we, we thought it was important to step aside for a minute, acknowledge some of this stuff and um, and really, really highlight what I think is a very, um, very, very brave, 
very honest and, and very touching book. And, you know, the Harry Potter thing, you know, is interesting for you to bring up because sometimes I feel like Harry Potter is like the only thing where it seems like every single actor that came out of that is still successful and seems well adjusted and seems to reflect genuinely fondly on their experience. I mean, they all always have involvements with their like, um, you know, when they come back to Hogwarts, there was that was it like Amazon Prime last year? Um, and it was like the like return to wizardry or something like that. It was a streaming HBO, HBO like return to Hogwarts series. They all come back for that, whether they zoomed and were put in, you know, like everyone, you know, Harry Potter seems to have this, like, like they did it right. But then <laughs> there's JK Rowling who wrote the books. Yeah. And that's the, but I'm saying that is no, the perfect right. example of that trickle down effect because you can have a great set, you know, life and you can have well-adjusted actors who did a great job and genuinely loved being wizards all the time. And you can have great directors. Um, but then you have this still, like, black cloud that looms over because J.K. Rowling has turned out to be horribly transphobic and, you know, unethical herself. And so I think it's just, like, I want to reiterate that, like, if we chose to pick everything apart forever, we would never want to watch TV or movies ever again. Um, and, and it's a hard thing to find the balance of, which we're trying to do. And then, like we said, that's also not what the show's about. This show's supposed to be lighthearted, and it's about sort of this innocent time in your life. Unfortunately, that means that, um, you know, there were not-so-innocent times in other children's lives who, who gave us this this sort of joy. You know, you say, like, all the wizards come back to do the reunion special. Well, Jeanette McCurdy decides not to come back for the iCarly reunion, like you said earlier. You know, so it's just this, like, um, nothing's perfect. It, it, it never, it was not all, like we said, the sunshines and rainbows that, that we wanted to be when we were kids. Um, but sometimes I think it's, it's, it's good to... Um, to choose that side of things in terms of in terms of nostalgia and and what what brings you happiness. Do you have any final culminating thoughts on this book? If you have not already read this book, um, I can't recommend this enough. Uh, it, it is truly, I mean, she is such a thoughtful and talented writer, and she mentions early on in the book that as a kid she decided to um, she wanted to write screenplays because screenplays were writing in general was something that she was genuinely passionate about. And her mom told her to crumble them up and throw them away. And I think that this book is a token of that passion and, and honoring of her younger self. And she clearly, you know, was passionate about it because she had an innate ability to thoughtfully write. And um, it, it comes through so much. You know, I can't stress enough, Patrick and I only began to touch on the surface of this book. I mean, this book is incredibly nuanced and, you know, has so much in it. We didn't even talk about, I realized, her relationship with a producer like 20 years her senior in Nickelodeon. I mean, um, it's endless, you know, the, the things that happened to her. And um, I I feel so grateful that we live in a place now where, you know, we're, be we're beginning to live in a place now where people feel uh, the support and power to come forward about these horrible situations. Hollywood was complicit and silent for too long. And although we have so long to go, um, we are beginning to see, I think, a new era of film and television and um, hopefully soon even online content creation. Um, so yeah, if you have not read this book, truly I cannot recommend it enough. And I also would like to just say um, the audiobook is great. You can sign up uh, for a free trial with audio uh, Audible. 
Um, I wish I could say I could plug a discount code. We don't have one. Um, but you can sign up for a free trial with uh, Audible, which is how we listen to it. Um, or when it comes available on Libby in like six years, you can listen to it then. But the audiobook is truly a treat. So if you can't get your hands on the physical copy, um, find a way to listen to it because this is something that should not be missed. We also, like we said, we tried to buy a physical copy, and she was like, yeah, good luck. I mean, unless you want to buy it from Amazon. And we were like, no, we'd rather rip Amazon off and get the free trial on Audible. Um, and we knew that we had a long drive coming up and we'd listen to it. And then sure enough, like three days later, they were like, oh, by the way, a big stack of books just came in. Do you want one? So, so we do have the book. Um, it's right here in my hands. It's what I was reading from. Um, but yeah, um, Taylor's right. Uh, not only should you support print media, but also, um, screw Amazon and, and use your free trial to, to listen to, um, her great sort of retelling of, of her memoir. And also Audible, if you want to sponsor us, we're here. We'd love to talk about more books that are on your platform. You know it's an Amazon thing, right? Audible? Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I mean, you know. <laughs> what are you going to do? Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It'd be so funny to just have this like really like insightful and like delicate conversation. Also, just be like, Amazon, will you please sponsor <laughs> Listen, we don't make a lot from this show, so uh, if you just want to give us like one book to listen to, uh, one and done. Give us a Tom Felton book. Um, yeah. All joking aside, let's move on from this heavy stuff. That was a really great conversation, and, and, and I enjoyed having it with you. However, we got Halloween coming up, and so we got to get back to the silly, okay? You got a couple um, weeks back to back with you, Lilo and Stitch. We sort of um, mutually agreed upon this. So next week, the first Halloween special. Is my pick, and I told you I've been waiting for this like basically since we talked about creating the show and said that we were going to do a month of Halloween specials. I was like, I know what my first one is because there was one classic that I watched every single Halloween, and I have my original VHS tape in my hands right now. I'm trying to peek, you know what it is? Is it Casper? No, it's not Casper. I don't know. Mickey's House of Villains. You ever watch Mickey's House of Villains? You're in for a treat. You ever watch Disney's House of Mouse? Okay, so Disney's House or Mickey's House House how, blah, 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 blah. Mickey's House of Mouse was like a show where all of the cool heroic Disney characters would meet up together in this like movie theater and they would watch like Disney shorts. Okay. Disney's House of Villains is a Halloween special where on Halloween night, all the villains come in and take over the movie theater, and they kick all the heroes out, and they watch spooky Halloween Disney shorts, and uh, and yeah, I guess trying to take over the world. Wow. I'm, I don't think I've ever heard of this. Um, I don't think I've ever heard of Disney's House of Mouse either. So, um, yeah, this is going to be a new one for me. But the, this did just make me think, um, can I choose TV episodes, like a myriad? If I chose, like, four TV episodes that were specifically Halloween-themed, does that count? Uh, I mean, you know, there are no rules. It's our show, right? To remind you of a previous conversation... We said maybe not the best idea because if you choose, just for example, one iCarly, one Drake and Josh, one uh, Sweet Life, right? We're watching those shows and it kind of spoils that show for a future episode. I'm specifically thinking of one episode 
that is so unbelievably Halloween in my mind. I think it premiered on Halloween night and I watched it and it was like the scariest thing I had ever seen in my life. Um, and like, I'm just so eager to revisit that, but I, I can wait if we need to. Uh, I don't know. Maybe tack it on at the end of like a, a, a bigger choice or something. I don't know. You do whatever you want. It's our show. Who cares? Um, but this, this I watched every freaking Halloween. I mean, like I loved it so much. I, I don't think I've watched it since I was like seven or eight years old. And, um, like a couple years ago when uh, we got this VCR from the thrift store, my mom was like, oh, great. I'm glad you have a VCR again. Um, please take all of your old Disney VHS tapes and get them out of this house because um, I guess, I don't know, we thought she they'd be worth something. Well, she also doesn't have a VCR. And, um, and so, yeah, I've, this has been sitting on the shelf waiting for us, and I'm so freaking excited to bust this out. I really hope it doesn't stink. One thing that I'm really excited about that I just have to talk about for a second and be really cryptic about because I'm not going to be able to use it or announce it until my pick. You guys, when we decided, when when Y2Kids was early in our thought development, I instantly thought of this activity that I used to do as a kid. I guess that's what you could call a product that I used to use as a kid that was so nostalgic for me, it like physically rocked my world. And I couldn't think of the name. I couldn't even think of how to describe it. It was so niche. And then I saw a TikTok like three weeks ago saying, does anybody remember blah, blah, blah? And let me tell you, I've never put something in my Amazon cart and ordered it so quick. I know we just talked about screw Amazon, but oh my God, it's sitting there. It's waiting for us. Patrick is, might ju- I might just be bringing it to next week's episode because I literally can't help myself. I am so excited. That is what I'm excited for. I have no clue what I'm going to choose for my Halloween stuff because Halloween was like um, scary stuff was not really for me. Um, And I I don't think that there was anything that I just like watched seasonally like that other than Christmas. Um, But oh my gosh, I'm so excited for this one particular activity. Cool. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm excited that you're excited. Um, Yeah, that's what what we're looking at next week. this show you can find everywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, hopefully, you've already rated it five stars, left us a nice review. Um, if you want to reach out to us, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Y2KidsPod. Let us know what you think about the show, our conversation, any ideas for future episodes. If this is your first time listening, Taylor and I bounce back and forth on, on sort of um, uh, weekly topics and weekly shows and movies or whatever. And if you have any ideas for something you want us to talk about in the future, let us know. You can also email us at y2kidspod. The best place to find the show is featurepresentationvideo.com. It's our website. Um, it's where we have everything, all of our podcasts, um, all the things that we write. Everything that we do lives in this one place. We send something out every single day of the week for free. So the best way to do it is go to the website, featurepresentationvideo.com. Put your email address in, and we'll send you everything that we do. Um, because it's all awesome. And, uh, and there's some website exclusives on there. We host a third podcast that you can only find on the website. It really is the place to be. There's no paywall. It's all free. And, um, yeah, we do it for you and we hope that you, um, you, you dig the stuff that we do. Um, I think that's pretty much all we have. Um, so thank you guys for listening and, um, and yeah, we'll see you next week. See you then.